welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies with Max and Tim. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And this is the Christmas cast. Christmas! Yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. Ho, ho, ho. That's the Green Giant. Actually, it's not Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Um... Yeah, hopefully uh, you all had a had a good holiday. Um, I hope we had a good holiday because by the time that this is online, Christmas will be. Uh, it hasn't arrived for us yet. Yeah. Um, this is the Saturday before. So, how was your Christmas, Tim? Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, you didn't see that one thing coming, though, did you? Oh, I miss my legs. <laughs> uh. But uh, anyway, I, guess I should say um, I kind of have a cold right now, so, you know, my voice sounds kind of different. That's why. I apologize. But I'm all kind of stuffy and my throat's all scratchy. So. Max couldn't make it, so welcome to Talking Movies with Tim and Barry White. Hey, baby. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what Barry White usually says. I think Can't he's... get enough of your love, baby. I think he's dead, so. Isn't he? I don't know, actually. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well. <laughs> Rest in peace, Barry White. And um, Peter O'Toole and Joan Fontaine. Yeah, yeah. Um, that happened a few days ago. Um, that's, that's, it's a shame. It's always a shame when, you know, when you hear about that happening. But, I mean, you can't say that it's entirely unexpected. I mean, Peter O'Toole was, like, over 80 years old and... And he um, he had battled stomach cancer like thirty years ago or something. And oh, really? I didn't. I didn't know that. I think so. I don't know. Yeah. Read it online somewhere. <laughs> um, Joan well, Fontaine was in her nineties. Yeah. She Olivia De Havilland won. Because Joan Fontaine and Olivia De Havilland are sisters, and um, they were bitter rivals uh, throughout all their careers and like for decades they never spoke i know that in the early 60s they had a bit of a reconciliation i don't know if it lasted but joan fontaine is just died olivia de havilland is still alive how old is she um is she over 90 as well probably or? yeah i think she was joan fontaine's older sister so she's wow at least 97 i believe she's the only remaining cast member from gone with the wind oh right okay yeah that's, it, it's crazy to think, like, I mean, that when you, when you watch classic films or, like, talk about them or think about it, it's, like, it's the whole birth of, of cinema. You mm. know, it's the whole birth of the entire art form. And it's just crazy to think that, like, you know, there, there are people still alive today that were, like, at the dawn of the whole thing. Um, I mean... You know, the dawn technically is like the you know, nineteen hundred or nineteen oh two or something, but um eighteen ninety four. Well, I mean, I'm kinda going more by like I don't know. Like Hollywood type Yeah. But, yeah. Trip to the moon. Even train robbery, you know. Yeah. Um So there was, you know, a good like thirty years before you know, by the time you get to the 30s. Yeah. But even then, it's like, that still was at, like, it was at a time when, like, p- 
people were figuring out what you could actually do with with cinema. It's just, I don't know, it's strange to think that that actually, those events didn't happen that long ago. You know, it's it's easy to kind of think about it as like, that's just, that happened like a hundred years ago, even though, it, you know, it, feel, it might as well be a hundred years ago. Mm. It just seems so distant. But it, you know, there are people that are still alive who lived through it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just strange to think about that. It's weird to think that, like, um, the amount of time that separates a trip to the moon and gone with the wind sep- is the same time that separates us today from, I'm trying to, uh, let's see, 81s of Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Why am I blanking on 1981 <laughs> films? Halloween 2. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Howling was that nineteen eighty one? I think so. Yeah, or no, that was was that was that eighty? Yeah, wait, no, eighty two. Because or what about American um, Werewolf in London and Howling were the same year? Okay, were they eighty one or eighty two? I, I thought I was just gonna say, oh, isn't American Werewolf in London? Isn't that eighty one? I don't know, but still, that's it, it, you know, and you know what? I'm <laughs> wrong anyway. Well, when was because I'd suck at math. Okay, Trip to the Moon, <laughs> 1976 is where I should be. So, Trip to the Moon was 02. 02, and then Gone of the Wind was 39. So we're talking 37 years. So we're talking 37. So years. So we're talking 1976. Okay. So no, we're not. Yes, right. What <laughs> what year is this right now? <laughs> well, it's about to be 2014. All right. But 2013, so 76. So that's Star Wars hasn't even come out yet. Taxi drivers. Carrie. Oh, Carrie. <laughs> Which we yeah. talked about. Um, Rocky. The Omen. Yeah, and I mean, and you can look at the, I mean, yeah, you look at the, the leap between Trip to the Moon and Gone with the Wind, and that's a that's a very substantial change. Um, you look at, like, Carrie and, say, let's say, the remake of Carrie. Which we which, still have not seen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's not as much of a huge change there um um i mean i don't know about the carry remake specifically but film in general now um is less film that's true that's a pretty big leap yeah there's all the digital even even if it's not being shot digitally um projection and people were watching movies on our phones yeah yeah the, the it's reverting back to the early 20th century where we're watching it on these tiny little yeah, screens right. <laughs> and uh, peep shows and stuff and, and nickelodeons yes um that is funny i hadn't i hadn't thought about that how it's like it for yeah for a while it was like you know making it bigger and bigger and better um now we have the ultimate extremes where it's like you have you we have a lot of movies coming out in like the IMAX. There are more IMAX theaters out there now than there ever have been. Mm-hmm. At the same time that like, you know, we're also watching them on our phones. Um And it's weird like twenty years ago when you would talk about IMAX, it was pretty much the realm of documentary right they would show like all these documentaries and imax like they didn't quite realize like we could be making a lot more money off this imax thing well like, the thing with imax and this is my understanding of it there are multiple sort of like different levels of what an imax theater is 
There are the IMAX theaters that for years that is what I knew IMAX to be, which are the theaters that you go to in like museums and stuff. Yeah. Which I think those are called like Omni, like IMAX Omni domes. Oh, okay. And those you go in and you sit down and the screen is like a complete 180 degree, uh, it fills your vision 180 degrees. Like a great escape, the cinema 180 that they used to have. Oh, um, like you'd sit in the know. theater and it was like, oh, we're going down a roller coaster. And like, <laughs> when you're at stuff. the Great Escape and there's a roller coaster right behind <laughs> you anyway. Like. That is kind of odd. I remember there was one where it's like somebody like, uh-oh, grandma's driving the car. And then we're just, it just shows like the windshield of a car and this like horrible driver is going all over the place. <laughs> it's like, why is this interesting? I just drove in a car to get here with, with, a, grandma. with my grandma. <laughs> uh. Um, um, but yeah, those, anyway, yeah. those, you know, and those actually like the screen curves up right. onto the ceiling. So you're kind of like leaning back, looking up. And I remember going to see like a, uh, Mount Everest documentary in that format. Mm. Um, and that was really great. Cause like they had cameras actually like set up in the middle of like an avalanche, like looking up at like a mountain as the snow is like coming down at you. And it, you know, it felt pretty, uh, pretty intense. So there's that. That's like the biggest sort of form of IMAX. Then there's like the secondary tier, which is the, um, I forget the actual size of the film, but it's bigger than like a 70 millimeter uh, or 35 millimeter film format. And instead of being, instead of the picture being wider, which is, you know, most the 16 by nine aspect ratio the image is actually taller than it is wide. And so the screen is actually taller than a regular uh, movie theater screen. And I went to go see a few movies on a screen like that. Um, most notable is uh, The Dark Knight, because that movie was actually certain scenes were shot in that film format. Um so I'm I'm pretty glad that I went to go see that when I did because it actually filled that entire really tall screen and it was it it was just absolutely amazing. Now have you seen The Dark Knight on DVD? Yes. Do they do like the Doctor Strange Love thing where like um cuz like the film Doctor Strange Love uh like different parts of it were shot with different uh, aspect ratios and things like that. So when you watch the DVD, like the screen shape changes. Ch- right. Yeah. When you watch the Dark Knight in DVD, like certain scenes is the. Um, there's the when you go to just watch the movie, um, it doesn't change. They kind of like edited it. They shot it in a uh, way that was like it could add it add to the experience when you're watching it in the IMAX format. But for most people seeing it in the theater, they were still even watching it in the 16 by 9 format. Um, so the DVD has that, but I know that my DVD has the, uh, as a special feature, all those scenes, um, in their IMAX aspect ratio. Mm. I don't know if there's an option to watch it with those, with the IMAX scenes inserted into it. <coughs> um, but yeah, that's, uh, it's cool to see. Mm. <coughs> and then the smallest IMAX screen is the one that is most common in theaters today what crossgates has at crossgates um and that is basically like 
the aspect ratio isn't isn't different. It's what is just called it's an IMAX certified screen, so it meets certain uh, projection standards and like sound standards. Like it has like, um, you know, really crystal clear images and uh, awesome sound. <clears throat> then the sound is really what like when I go see movies in in that in in that IMAX theater at the Crossgates like. I, I really appreciate having like the nice, nice sound. Yeah. Cause a lot of theaters don't like turn it up loud enough. <clears throat> I think the first time I was aware of, um, people talking about IMAX theaters in relation to just like regular narrative films was when 300 came out and I was at purchase and a bunch of my friends were like, we're going to go see 300 in IMAX. I ended up oversleeping, so I didn't get to go. But um, <laughs> great story, Tim. <laughs> but that was the first time it was like, oh, that's a like, because I had always heard of IMAX as like, oh, nature documentaries and right, stuff. Yeah. I'm like, well, I don't what. Yeah. So, but um, yeah. So earlier we were talking about the birth of cinema, and uh, this is the time of year when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And uh, <laughs> there have been a lot of movies about that. About the birth of Jesus? Well, about people celebrating it. This is my awkward segue into <laughs> into Christmas movies. Christmas movies, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, this is a good segue. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah, funny enough, I, I can't think of many movies that actually deal with the nativity story. Um, well, there's a film from the 70s uh, starring Olivia Hussey who is in oh. Black Christmas, which is the Christmas movie at the center of the, today's episode, um, called Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, she plays Mary, who was which, Jesus's which mom. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's a Christmas movie. I don't, I don't, well, I don't know. But, I mean, is like, there a scene in which she gives birth to Jesus? I really don't know. I don't know I guess about like, it. You know, um, then that there probably isn't a scene where she gives birth <laughs> to Jesus. <laughs> Well, then it's not a Christmas movie. Okay. Um, there might be a nativity scene, but not like... Well, then it, it is Christmas movie? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, that I guess, wasn't like, even December anyway. But... In, the, in like the Rankin-Bass Little Drummer Boy movie, there's not a scene where Mary is like, you know, or jo- Joseph's like, come on, push! And she's like, ah! and Jesus <laughs> comes out. from childbirth. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there is a nativity scene, so yeah. and that's a Christmas movie. Yeah. So I guess, you know, if it has the nativity, then yeah. But I don't think that was, like, the main... I think it was about, like, his life, and so, so... But I mean, right, that's part right. of... I don't know. But, I mean, there are movies where, like... um, Like, the, the Leo McCary, Bing Crosby films, like, Going My Way and Bells of St. Mary's, they're often brought out around Christmas time and touted as Christmas movies, and they both have great Christmas moments in them. But I don't know if I'd necessarily call them Christmas movies. Mm. And, like, um, Meet Me in Meet Me in St. Louis. Like, that's got... I mean, that introduced Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas to Did the it? world. Did really? Yeah. I didn't know that. And, um... But it's not, like, a Christmas movie. It's, you know, a whole year. And Holiday Inn, also, because that's, like, a whole year. Yeah, there are a lot of movies that, like, and it's arguable with with Black Christmas, even though it has Christmas in the title. Mm. There are a lot of movies that happen to take place, like, on or around Christmas that don't necessarily have anything to do with Christmas. 
Yeah. Um, like this and Die Hard and Gremlins and. Um, mm, I would say, I would count Gremlins as a Christmas movie. That more it's so, one of my favorite. That more Christmas so movies. than than the others, I would say. Gizmo is a Christmas present. I mean, that he was starts the whole. And there's the, this whole backstory with the uh, with the girl um, involving Christmas, which I won't spoil in case there's anybody out there who hasn't seen Gremlins. You really should watch it because it's amazing. You watch Gremlins too. Also, you'll find out why she has a problem with Christmas and Lincoln's birthday. She has a thing with Lincoln's birthday too. Have you seen Gremlins too? It's been forever since. Oh, I've seen okay. Gremlins there's too. a great scene where they kind of Gremlins two is almost a spoof of Gremlins. Yeah, it's like it's. You can't watch Gremlins 2 expecting anything <laughs> similar to Gremlins. Like, but it's spectacular. Kind of it. It's an amazing sequel. It's a fuck you sequel. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, but they do sort of like an over-the-top spoof of her monologue from Gremlins okay. only in reference to Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. She's like, I just, oh, I don't, I don't mention Lincoln. I hate Lincoln's birthday. I just remember being a little girl and I was in the park and there was this man with a hat and and then they like cut her off before she could go further, but it was oh, okay. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um. I was I was at uh, Billy Wilder's The Apartment, which for years I said was my favorite film, but now I don't know if I have a favorite film. If I had to pick, I guess maybe I'd pick that one. Um, but I mean that takes place during the whole like Christmas season. Um, like the, there's a Christmas party scene that's like the big like pivotal moment in the movie and then it ends on new year's Hmm. diner also uh is like that time frame there's a nativity scene in diner actually kevin bacon um it goes to like a, a manger scene outside of a church and he strips down to his underwear and uh he lies down in like where jesus should be And then everybody gets arrested. So how many degrees <laughs> of Kevin Bacon is Jesus at that point? <gasps> um, anyway, so what <laughs> So what would you say are some of your favorite Christmas movies? When when Christmas comes around, what are the what are the, like the the holiday classics that you look forward to watching? Um I it gets a lot of shit and it's kind of, it's schmaltzy and sentimental and stuff, but whatever it's Christmas. Uh, the Bishop's wife with Cary Grant and, um, you know, he plays an angel who is sent down to earth to, uh, to help a Bishop, <laughs> um, realize that like, like what his priorities should be. They should be towards, you know, like, his wife and his child and not just, you know, raising money for things. And I, I, it's just like, I don't know. It's just a, one of those like movies that just honestly just makes me feel good watching it. I don't know. Like it's, and I, it's not a great film, mm-hmm. but it's just like, Oh, it's Christmas and I'm going to watch the Bishop's wife and it's going to be awesome. And I mean, I didn't, it's not like I grew up with it. I didn't see it until I was in my twenties, but Oh, this is a nice, and it's directed by Henry Coster, who also did a few years later. He did Harvey, which also has that sort of feel to it, like oh yay Harvey, and it's just a nice. Well, I that know. I mean, the I've never even heard of what's it called, Bishop's the Bishop's wife, the Bishop's wife. Um, it has a very like it's a Wonderful Life kind of sound to it, like with an angel coming down to help mm-hmm. somebody. Um, and Harvey, obviously, oh, it's a bit of a love triangle. James Stewart, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
When did uh, when did the Bishop's Wife come out? Uh, 1947. Okay. It was so remade in the 90s as um, the Preacher's Wife, where Denzel Washington takes oh, the Cary Grant role. Okay. Um, so that it came out after It's a Wonderful Life. Yep, the next year. It was two years in a row there were Christmas movies nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Actually, in 47, The Bishop's Wife and Miracle on 34th Street were both nominated for Best Picture. Wow, so there was a real yeah. Christmas spell. <laughs> Um, that then that's like right after you know World War II had ended. Yeah, uh, everybody wants. I wonder if that has that, anything to like, do with it. Like they just want to feel good. Not, I mean, it's a wonderful life. Yes, the the title is sort of the the lesson you take from it at the end. But the movie itself. I mean, well, Frank Capra was a manic depressive, and you can see it in his films. They're like, there's no like neutral moments in them. There's really happy, positive, sentimental moments, and there's really there's depressing, <laughs> angry, mad moments. It's, yeah, it's yeah. he reminds me of Spike Lee. In that way, I don't, I never really thought of Frank Capra and Spike Lee comparing them before. But like that, when Spike in a Spike Lee movie, you can tell when he's fucking pissed. Mm. And then there are the moments that I think aren't as effective as the angry moments, where it's like this is just a happy moment. I don't know. I mean, and I never thought about um, "It's a Wonderful Life" in that way. But yeah, thinking about it now, like <clears throat> you really could just take all of the scenes and divide them as like, Oh, this is a happy scene. This is a sad yeah. scene. And it really is either like one or the other. There's not really a lot of scenes that are kind of like, you know, somewhere in the middle, but that is partly about like why that movie is so effective because it just makes you feel so happy mm. and so sad. And by the time you get to those end, like the end scene, it's like, You've really gone on a whole emotional roller coaster. Um, it was a great introduction to the post World War II version of Jimmy Stewart, who before the war had always been sort of like the aw shucks boy next door type thing. Well, not always, but most of the time. That was his persona. And then It's a Wonderful Life, you get that in parts, and mm-hmm. you also get this really dark, depressed, angry thing that grew into like the, all the westerns he made with Anthony Mann and the films he made with Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And yeah, totally. Um, yeah, It's a Wonderful Life. I I hadn't seen it. Um, I, it wasn't a movie that I watched like, a lot growing up. Like I'd seen parts of it online, uh, not online, on TV. <laughs> I didn't see any of it until college. <clears throat> um, I, saw, I don't know how I missed it. You know, I, I hadn't like seen it all the way through until... Um, just a couple of years ago, but um, my girlfriend Kayla really likes that movie. So every year for the past couple of years on Christmas, we've watched it, and um, it's just it's just a damn good movie. It really like every time I watch mm. it, it I tear up. I get like super emotional. I mean, it's it's uh. It's really fantastic. And I think it like it kind of sums up the Christmas spirit in a way that's more effective than most other Christmas movies. And it's a wonderful life like you could argue that it's kind of just like you could have the same story and not have it like take place on Christmas and it would still work as a mm. as a thing. Like most of it doesn't take place on christmas or isn't even about christmas right it just so happens that like that last day um is on christmas 
just kind of like the, another Capra movie from a few years earlier, Meet John Doe, where at the beginning of the movie, it's like, oh, John Doe will kill himself on Christmas. And then that kind of like hangs over the whole movie. The movie ends at Christmas. I don't, for anybody who hasn't seen it, I'm not going to ruin anything. But I mean, they came out in 1941. So hmm. you can make your own assumptions as to how it's going to end. <laughs> Whether or not Gary Cooper ends up plummeting from a skyscraper or not. On, uh, on Christmas. On Christmas, <laughs> yeah. So that's but, really fascinating because, I mean, obviously It's a Wonderful Life is about this person who's going to kill himself on yeah. Christmas. Um, but I'm guessing it has a much different outcome or much more hopeful outcome than tech. I mean, technically, um, it's not necessarily an angel that rescues him, but it would still be a, a, a God machine deus ex machina. Mm. I mean, it kind of just, I don't know the ending Frank Capra really wanted him to kill himself. That's he really wanted the movie to end with that because Capra, for all that people say Capricorn and all that stuff, but he was a dark guy. <laughs> um, he really wanted the movie to end with Gary Cooper killing himself, but the, the Warner Brothers wouldn't distribute that, so mm. they kind of have some like hokey crap at the end to save it. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's just like a lot of Christmas movies that will take will tackle like the quote unquote Christmas spirit sort of directly on and say like you know oh, I'm trying to I'm trying to find the Christmas spirit Charlie Brown um and that's you know that's fine and they're I mean Charlie Brown's great and like there are a lot of good Christmas Christmassy movies you know with Santa and like all that but it's a wonderful life it doesn't it's just all about like the influence you have on other people's lives and the influence you have on your friends and family and communities lie, well, uh, the lives of, of those right. around you. And I mean, that last scene when, when everybody comes together to, to help him, that to me sums up like the, you know, the Christmas spirit more than, mm. than anything in any other Christmas movie. Um, and it's funny because, you know, when you're a kid growing up and, and people talk about Christmas, like, they'll always talk about how, like, oh, Christmas is a time where we come together with loved ones, friends and family. We all get together and show one another how much we love them and get into the spirit of giving. But when you're a kid, like, that's, it never feels like that. No. It's always just like, no, Christmas is the time when, like, I get a bunch of the presents. Right. <laughs> Um, Every, when it, all my friends and family gather together to give me yeah <laughs> exactly and part of that is because when you're a kid you see your friends and family almost every single day because you're going to mm. school with them with your friends every single day day in day out for months and years on end and you're living with your family yeah so it doesn't feel like Christmas is like anything more special than I wonder what toys I'm going to get. Yeah. As I've gotten older, I've come to realize like that the things I appreciate about Christmas more are those things you always hear about, like everybody getting together. Um, because now, you know, I, a lot of my good friends don't live in the area anymore. They live down in New York city. Um, 
I don't live in, with my dad anymore, you know, um, so I don't see him as much. You get busy as you as you grow up. Yeah. You have jobs and you have, you know, you have relationships and you have responsibilities that you have to, to do. So you don't see your friends and family as much. So when Christmas comes around and ev- like everybody comes home and we have a big Christmas party and all of our friends are there and like that to me is like what's exciting about Christmas now is like oh you know the the whole gang is going to get back together and we're going to we're going to have a a good time and and hang out watch charlene's christmas <laughs> <laughs> watch charlene's christmas story yeah <laughs> um it's funny cuz when we made um zombies christmas carol yeah i thought like it's cool that we that we made a uh, a Christmas movie because now for the rest of our lives like that's something that we can watch like on Christmas but we haven't watched Zombie's Christmas Carol on Christmas in a long time because we had ended up making Charlie's Christmas story right and that is uh I don't know it's more relevant to Christmas and it's more popular with with you know with the with the friends and family and stuff they always want to watch that i tried watching zombies christmas carol with my family last year when i opened up my case the disc was gone i have no idea where it could be oh so i should i should probably actually start looking for that um watch it this year i'm pretty sure there's if you go at the christmas party if you ask one of the phelpses they can there's last year there were a whole bunch of other dvds it's also online yeah we'll put up a a link for those of you listening who have no idea what we're talking about yeah the zombies christmas carol was a movie that um we made uh with the the phelps family with nice guys productions and uh and muckraker which is uh, jonathan phelps um this was back in 2003 i was still in high school 10 years oh it is the 10th anniversary of zombies christmas carol i hadn't even thought about that um, it's actually because we started shooting it in 2003. The movie wasn't actually finished until 2004. Um, but it was a fun winter. We were all covered in blood. We all got sick. Yeah, and laying that like that winter was like seriously one of the coldest on record, which at, worked at the well time. for the finished product. But the actual act of being out there. At like three shooting. in the morning, covered in in fake blood, which just amounted to like flour with food dye and water. So it was basically just like ice cold water, just being sprayed repeatedly with that. It was it was quite the uh, the trial, but um, yeah, that was, it's a, you know it's a zombie movie. Um, zombies, a group of zombie Christmas carolers. It was really before zombies um, were everywhere i mean zombies you know like there'd been huge zombie movies in the years leading up to that but Mm -hmm. like it wasn't now they're just it's annoying i used to love zombies because it was like this nobody liked zombies like that's not i don't think that's why i like zombie movies but like now it's just there's just there's well when did uh when did Shaun of the dead come out i think it was oh four that was oh four okay and And that i think that's when it really kind of like because it was it got a lot of people who didn't normally go to horror yeah because it was a huge hit and like and it was a really good movie. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then Land, George Romero's Land of the Dead came out after Shaun of the Dead. 
Then there was the Dawn of the Dead remake. And then from there, it was just like, you know, <laughs> so much. Um, and then The Walking Dead. And now we've got The Walking Dead. Um, zombies are more popular now than they than they ever have been. And, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say that we, like, you know, snuck in there before it was, you know. We were just... Where everybody else was, before it was we were the cool thing to do. ahead of the zeitgeist on that one. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's a cool movie. I mean, we've definitely gotten much more, uh, I don't know, sophisticated in our filmmaking. Um, but at the time, it was like it was our biggest production. Um, we had done, like, you know, little things before then. But uh, I, I didn't really have much to do with the production side of the movie um it was directed by the phelps brothers john Stephen, chris john wrote it and john edited it so it's you know it's um did chris direct it i thought it... they're all all three of them are credited as oh, okay as i wasn't sure um i remember that it was um there was one night where i went to shoot it was like late at night and there were like only five of us who showed up to be zombies because it was during that period where everyone was sick. Oh, yeah. And, like, that was around the time... Like, I knew John, but I'd never really, like, talked to John Yeah, that was that. that was one of the first times because he had... Um, he was away at school at yeah. Purchase for a long time. And he graduated from Purchase, like, right before I went to Purchase. So oh, we, yeah. like, did, missed each other. And that was when, like, he kind of came back, I think. Yeah. And, um, like, I had only really met him... When, whenever he would come back like from school on breaks and whatever and it was just like I'd be like you know hanging out with Chris and then Chris would be like all excited because oh, yeah John's coming home he's like oh cool and then he'd come home and it was like you know I was just you know his younger youngest brother's like you know friend or whatever but that that night was like the <clears throat> night when like I actually like got to know John and um and it's, that night is also the reason why uh, after my character's uh demise I pop up in the background of a lot of other shots because there was just nobody else there. <laughs> Somebody had to be in the background. Yeah, <laughs> I was there for almost everything. Um, the only there were some stuff during the day that mm. I wasn't there because um, I was still going. I was still going to high school while we were making it, and oh, I was wow. working at uh, TV eight. So I and but I was there like every night, um, regardless. I would I would basically get home from school. I'd go straight to the Phelps' house, and they'd be, like, setting up some stuff. We'd shoot for, like, a couple hours. Then I'd have to go to work at uh, TV8. Then I'd come back and shoot all night and then get up for school the next day. Now, were you also in Geek War? Oh, Gavin's movie? Yeah. I was, Because that yeah. was during... Was that Zombies during Christmas that? Carol. It was, like... Because we mostly shot at night after a certain point. And then, like, during the day, there were, I think it was, like, two days, maybe, we shot Geek War. Yeah. And it was just a few blocks away like one, from the Phelps one day. House. I don't remember. It could have been one day. Yeah. It, it was kind of like Gavin wanted to do this little movie, and everyone was kind of busy doing this other thing, and he couldn't get a lot of people to come do it with him. Yeah. And um, it was like... Um, but I showed up. A bunch of Harry Potter fans versus a bunch of Lord, Lord of the, the Rings, Rings fans. fans. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, at that point, I hadn't seen any of those movies or read any of the books. I still haven't, It's crazy actually. to think that Harry Potter was, like, out back then. Yeah. But it was, because it came out, the movie came out in 2001. Yeah. 
along with Lord of the Rings. Um, I don't yeah. think I ever saw the f- edited uh, product. I saw footage. I don't know if I ever I saw it. I don't know if I ever saw the edited thing either. I showed up not thinking that I was just going to be like, you know, one of the background people. Mm. And Gavin had written the script and was like, okay, we need someone to read the monologue for, you know, the Lord of the Rings monologue. And nobody wanted to do it. And so I ended up being the one who was like, you know, <laughs> we will not go down without a fight. <laughs> when the age of men comes crashing down. Well, <laughs> doing like that whole thing. Um, I yeah, was, that'd be funny to watch that. I was the head of the movie. Harry Potter side. I had to say this whole thing. Oh, really? I didn't know you were the... Okay. And I had... I It was these words I was seeing for the first time. Quidditch. I was like, what is this? And he's like, it's a game. And I'm like, what? Okay. And there was something else. I don't even remember. But <laughs> I was like, just like... We will play Quidditch. <laughs> and um, in the name of D- Dam- Dumbledore, um, <laughs> we, we will live to the day. It is amusing how, like, I still haven't read the books or seen any of the movies or anything, but, like, if I read that dialogue now, I would know exactly what I was talking about just because it's so, like, part of the culture yeah, at this point. Yeah, yeah, But I, like, the, um, I don't want to spoil the ending. <laughs> to Geek War? <laughs> yeah. But I really liked, um, the, do you remember how it ended? Were you, were you the last one left from the Lord of the Rings side? I can't remember. Because it was, I was the last one left from the Harry Potter. It was just down to two people. And like it probably was was me then because so I read the I read the monologue the so that would make sense and like so I was like it looked like I had been like vanquished and then out of nowhere I pull out a lightsaber oh really and then whoever it was I guess you said like that's not fair or something oh yeah and I'm okay, like all's fair in geek war and then you cut me down with all of your hatred yeah. and your journey towards because that was also was when the the prequels were still had I think had the uh, Rent of the Sith. No, Rent of the Sith hadn't, no, that Rent was, of the Sith hadn't come out that yet. That was 2005, so yeah. it would have just been episode So two. that was another, because those were all I happening think. at the same time. Uh, the biggest thing I remember about that day was I had a pair of glasses, and I had uh, shown up wearing them, and it was in the wintertime, so we were in like a snowy field. Behind um, the junior high. Yeah. And somewhere in the battling, in the fake battling, like I got smacked in the face and my glasses flew off, and... I couldn't find them in the snow. They were just, they were lost. They were just gone. Um, so, uh, yeah, I lost my glasses that, that day. So, and then I actually, I went home and I told my dad, I'm like, I lost my glasses. And he's like, yeah, it was only like, I only had them for like a year or something. Mm. And he was like, like, we, we, we have to go back and try to find them. So like me, Luke and my dad went back to the junior high by ourselves and like searched around where, it was, and we still couldn't find them. So then he, like, you know, like, all right, let's go buy some new glasses. And, yeah. I wonder what happened to them. I don't know. Probably some, you know, after the winter, some people playing soccer or baseball back there, you know, found them, and some kid probably, like, put them on, like, <laughs> check me out, I got my glasses. <laughs> that, that's, that's what I would have done. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh. Um... Wow, so we got way off topic. <laughs> How long have we been talking? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're about 40 minutes in. <laughs> One, um, 
the film that has become like the big Christmas film in recent years, even though it wasn't a big hit when it came out, is uh, A Christmas Story. Yeah. And they show it 24 hours or whatever. And, uh, Which I, I think it's a bit overkill. Like, yeah. When it's I a was, good movie. It's a great movie. And yeah. when I was growing up, like, my dad really loved it. And, um, and we would watch it, like, you know, maybe not every year, but, like, every other year or something, we'd, you know, we'd watch it. And it's hilarious. Mm. Um, actually, one of my earlier childhood memories is somebody it was like in first grade and it was around christmas time and the teacher was like next uh, tomorrow come in with christmas movies and we'll pick one to watch because you know it was like the day before we were leaving on christmas break Mm. break, and she was like for the you know for the remainder for the last part of the day we'll watch a christmas movie some kid brought in a christmas story and i don't think my the teacher must not have known like what the movie was or whatever (laughs) and so she put it in and, um, you know, there's some like, I don't know, there's, there's humor in it that show that has like some swear. There's it's a lot of swearing and stuff. You don't actually hear the words, but it got to the point where like, he's like, you know, um, not knocks the, uh, the hubcap with the nut with the nuts. Fudge. He's like, Oh, fudge. Yeah. And she like raced up and was like, all right, we're not finishing this movie. And so for a long time, and I didn't even know what, like, the I was in first grade. I didn't even know fuck. I didn't know that word. I didn't know, like, what fudge was supposed to be about. Yeah. To her stopping it, like, just made me, like, what's fudge? Like, what's wrong with saying fudge? Like, I just, and for a long time, I didn't, I thought that fudge was, like, a <laughs> like a naughty thing. It's it's cool the way they get around the swearing in that movie. Like, the whole, like, every time the, the father's working on the heater right, or whatever. Right, yeah and he i guess like um ad-libbed all that uh the director bob clark who also that name sounds familiar yeah he directed black christmas apparently also what 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 um he told uh the actor um kolchak the night stalker um to uh, (laughs) to just like say whatever he wanted just as long as he didn't put any actual swear words anywhere in there and he just did a whole like yosemite sam type ranting thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah varmint <laughs> reckon um, reckon. yeah i mean like i i used to enjoy like watching that movie um because it was always fun like kind of because there's a lot of scene there's, there's a lot of like just great scenes and great moments in the movie um, that when you watch it, like after not having seen it for a while, you're like, oh yeah, like I forgot about this thing. You know, there's always something to, like new to discover about it until you start showing it every year on a 24 hour loop. Yeah. Like then it's just, I don't know. There like for three years in a row, I wound up like watching it and it was just like, it kind of just became, I don't know. I think the last time I watched any of like it's it too, was... Uh, I, I know it too well now, you know? The last time I watched any of it, I was in a, I was in a bar on Christmas Eve a couple of years ago, and it was playing. And I watched it for like 20 minutes or so, and I was like, oh. And then it just got kind of sad, because I was at a bar on Christmas Eve, <laughs> and there were like four or five... I was there with somebody, I should say. I was going to say, you don't even drink, Tim. What no, I know. I was bar? there with my Shirley Temple and some popcorn. Yeah, that uh, is sad. Yeah, Natalie was in town. We were at... Uh, we were there in, at um, J.P. Bruno's. 
And just yeah, really sad. <laughs> Christmas story play on the on the screen. <laughs> um, but anyway, we're not here to talk about a Christmas story. We're here to talk about Bob Clark's other Christmas movie. Um, what year? When did Christmas Story come out? That was uh, eighty three. Eighty three. Okay. So this was almost ten years before uh, he made his first Christmas movie. At least I think it's his first, unless he had an, another. I believe it's his first. Um, Black Christmas. 1974. And if anyone was like, oh, there's another move, another Christmas movie by the guy that did Christmas Story. <laughs> oh, I want to watch it. Oh, it's, it's a prequel. Came out before. <laughs> if you're expecting anything like a Christmas Story, then uh, you're going to be disappointed. But Although it is like a Christmas Story in that I just saw it for the first time two years ago, and I would rank it as as one of the best Christmas movies. Black Christmas. Yeah. It's a very well-made film. It's creepy as fuck. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that it's not really a Christmas movie, though. Okay. Like, it kind of, like, it takes place around Christmas, but it's not like... It has all the signifiers of Christmas. There's the caroling and the decorations and a guy dressed as Santa and a Christmas party and there's mm-hmm. snow and... Yeah. But, yeah. but I wouldn't say that it, like, it's not like about Christmas in any way. It doesn't really, it doesn't like comment on Christmas. Like Christmas isn't any sort of motivating factor in any of the characters. And one of the great things about it is we don't know any motivating factors. Yeah, yeah. As far as the killings, maybe it was like, oh, like he just he, hates. Christmas. He had enough of that Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> He's the Grinch. That's what it is. Oh my God! I was, that's <sighs> Billy. I guess I don't know. Maybe he's not Billy. Nobody knows. I don't know. Billy who? Down in Whoville. <laughs> Agnes and Billy. Um, yeah, but I mean, it is a a a great movie. I this is actually the first movie um, since we've been doing this podcast, the first one that we've watched that I had actually seen before. Oh, um, okay. So this was my second viewing of. I didn't Black realize Christmas. that. Yep. So. Um. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> now, when did you see it? Um, I saw it a couple years ago. I don't remember exactly when. I watched it with Chris over at his house, and I I really enjoyed it then. Um, watching it today, I I really enjoyed it mm. now. I mean, it it's it is really really great. I watched it for the first time um, the night before Christmas Eve, two thousand eleven. Um, it was late at night. I was alone. <laughs> in my house <laughs> and I was just like I just I just put it on thinking it would be just some movie you know I like just fall asleep I, like watch it for a few minutes and get, I get tired turn it off and fall asleep and then I just no it had me it hooked me right in and it didn't let go of me until it was it was done it had its way with me <laughs> yeah I mean it seriously is like I mean it's funny because like even now like I'm I was watching it in my apartment today I'm 27 years old. Yeah. I've seen tons of slasher movies. And I'd seen the movie before. And you watched it with someone. And I you watched, watched it with, with my yeah roommate, Jared. And there's just like, <laughs> there are certain points when like they're listening out on the phone call and you're hearing this thing and 
I'm ready to like lock my door because I'm like kind of freaked out because <laughs> it's just like it it is just genuinely creepy. Mm. Um, and especially for like a slasher movie, that's I think that's kind of hard to achieve because slasher movies tend to just like even if they were like revolutionary at the time, like you become exposed enough to them, like mm. they don't really have the same kind of like impact or effect on you anymore. But this one somehow like is just it's it's freaky. Well it'd be I mean you get to know the characters a lot. Even when you don't the first victim we hardly know her before she dies. It's yeah. very early in yeah. the film. But there's just like little moment there's enough of her. To get you sympathetic to, about her. And then her father. Yeah, and then her father. You meet like, her father, and you, like, through him, and just the look on his face, yeah. through the whole thing, you feel so bad for that guy. Totally. He has no idea. And then we're cutting up to her with a bag over her head in the attic, like, repeatedly. We see her a lot. We see her more as a dead body than we do yeah. as her alive. And, yeah, it's it makes, it really makes you, like, feel sorry for her. Hmm. Um, I mean, there's the house mother who I guess like I don't really have too much like invested sympathy towards her. So I much. pity her though. She's just like a lonely drunk. Yeah, she, and I think in the scenes, but she's more just like a comedic character and like. But there's know. there's these lo- when Mar- Margot Kidder's character mm-hmm. gets shit faced, and she's going off about like turtles having sex or whatever it is, and then um, the house mother like. She's amused to a degree, but you can also, like, there's some, I, at least I'm reading this into it, maybe, but it's just, like, she sees, like, oh, I'm where you're headed if you keep up like this. Like, she does have this maternal thing of, like, or maybe that's not in the movie. Maybe I'm bringing that to the movie. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, you could definitely, yeah. like, I could see, like, Margot Kidder just kind of, like, staying at, in the sorority for, you know, yeah. a long time and then just becoming the house mother and just... Yeah, that's probably what... And Margot Kidder in real life would have loved that. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, as far as, like, Margot Kidder goes, like, this is, hands down, my like the, my favorite role of hers. Have you seen Sisters? The Brian De Palma? De Palma film? Yeah. No, I haven't. That's the film she did, I think, right before this. And, though, like, just seeing... The, I hadn't seen a lot of Margot Kidder. I've seen Sisters, Black Christmas, the first two Superman movies... I think that might be it. Oh, um, Rob Zombie's Halloween too. Oh yeah, I forgot she. Yeah, um, and like, I'm just I'm very impressed with her as an actress, especially like Sisters and this film. Yeah, I mean, like for a long time, like all I knew her from was like Superman. Yeah, and her Lois Lane is just like very (laughs) strange. Yeah, and there's like (laughs) there's like that whole sequence where like. Superman takes her flying and like we're hearing her internal monologue and she has like this rhyming like poem where she's like, can you read my mind way up so high in the sky like a bird we fly? (laughs) Can you read my mind? And it goes on and on and on. And it's just like, I don't know. She has, I always just just thought of her as this kind of like just really kind of cheesy. Yeah. Um, actress i guess and even in the sequels she's it's even worse um but in this like she has that kind of like quirky weird kind of 
personality about her, but like it works much better because it's like she's able to kind of just, I don't know, be more in your face about it, about just like her sexuality and just like her profane kind of nature. Um, Which based on like interviews that I've seen with her and stuff, just seems to be her. Yeah. She's just kind of like... And this was cool. during her um, her Nicholas Beach stage, as we liked to like mention a few times last month, mm-hmm. um, where like Margot Kidder and Jennifer Salt got a house on Nicholas Beach in California, and like all like that was like the hub of like the next generation of Hollywood filmmakers and stuff. And um, yeah, like that's like uh, and then that's where she was living. When she like went to Canada to make uh, Black Christmas, she's from Canada. That's how she actually um, she knew Donald Sutherland because they were both Canadian actors, and um, he's the one who uh, told her about the house, and that's why she bought that house on Nicholas Beach. That's funny that there's like a Donald Sutherland connection. Yeah. Well, they were in um, a film together. Also, I think it was Quacks or Fortune has a cousin in the Bronx. That's the name of the movie? I believe so. I haven't seen it. It's got Gene Wilder in it, so I want to see it, because I'd like to see it. I've never heard done. of that. I think it's like 1970. Hmm. There's a lot of like Gene Wilder movies that, over the years, kind of pop up, and I'm like, I've never heard of this one. Like, what's this one? Yeah. <laughs> Some of them are kind of bad, but even the bad ones have like interesting things about them. Yeah, there's little moments and stuff. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the, uh, so this film is a Canadian horror film and uh, it's really it's it does fit in with the theme of the month holly jolly christmas mm-hmm. um cuz really like when the jollo films uh got from italy to north america they sort of like mutated into what became the slasher films mm-hmm. and that sort of like they kind of it's almost like the jolly like took a plane from Italy to uh, Canada and then like got down to America because like in Canada you had like Black Christmas and uh, Prom Night and Terror Train and My Bloody Valentine and like Mm -hmm. um, but yeah like it just it fits in like you can see like how this film sort of connects the two subgenres of horror if you will like there's like so many Jalo elements and there's also these things that like well, John Carpenter has said, like, when he was making Halloween, like, you know, he wanted to do something like Black Christmas. And, I mean, the opening is, like, basically ripped right out of Black Christmas, the opening of the Halloween. Whole, the whole, uh... Like, oh, the yeah, the POV, POV shot, yeah. walking around the house, the breathing. Right. Like, all those elements that, like, have since, you know, have become a staple of, of the slasher genre. Like, and <clears throat> it's funny watching, like, all these other uh, Jolly films. Um, this is the first one that has had that, like the POV, the stalking kind mm-hmm. of element. Um, usually like in, in the other films we've watched this month, like we're seeing like the, the killer and like in the, you know, in the deaths and stuff, but it's always, we're, you know, we're outside of it. We're focused on the hands mostly in these up close kind of shots and like this, this dark figure kind of moving around. And in this, it's like, we're in the POV of the, of the killer, yeah. which really reached its, you know, I don't know, it's, it's due in, in Halloween. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, last week I talked about how Eyeball kind of felt like 
a bridge between the Italian films and like Friday the 13th. Um, but this black Christmas really does feel like the first true like slasher film. Yeah. Um, and you can argue that like, I mean, even as far back as like psycho is kind of like, you could say it's technically a slasher movie. Um, it has elements of what the slasher films were. It would become, um, but in in my mind, I had always thought of Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of being like the first true, like slasher, um, which was released in 1974, which is the same yeah. year as Black Christmas. I've never really thought of that as a slasher film. And it, it is funny because like after watching this today, like I'm really like Texas Chainsaw Massacre isn't really much of a slasher movie. It had a huge influence on slasher films. Mm-hmm. It's a, I mean that sort of like dirty backwoods horror type thing kind of like um married the jolly and gave birth to slasher films i think <laughs> yeah i mean because te- texas chainsaw massacre you think about that um and you compare it to the films we've been watching this month and there isn't really all that much in common um aside from just you know there's people being killed yeah um and there's like a girl being chased by a killer, except the chase scene goes on for like 40 minutes or something. Like, Which I'm is kind of sure. what like uh, later slasher films really kind of evolved yeah. into, like these long sort of chases. Yeah. Um, but even Black Christmas has like in the end when, um, <laughs> what's her name? Olivia Hussey's character. Yeah. Um, God damn it. <laughs> what is her name i know her her boyfriend's name is peter yep and i know um jess Olivia jess, plays right, jess. jess when she's like you know when she gets the call from the, the cop and she's and he's like walk out of the house like and just put the phone down walk out of the house and he's like he's he's in the house that whole moment where she there's like a, a small little chase where he like chases her to the basement yeah um like that like feels totally like what would she's the final girl yeah the final girl yeah. then that's kind of exactly the final girl is this really kind of the first instance of that structure where it's like we have this group and they're all being picked off one by one until there's like the final girl um well i mean mario bava's bay of blood sort of whittles away its cast. Um, that was a few years, or <clears throat> 71, I think. Um, but that's more, I mean, like, some of the, like, Agatha Christie-type mysteries would sort of do that, where, like, mm. you're trying to figure out who the killer is, and, like, well, everybody's dying, it's it's only down to us two, it must right, be one of us, like, right, something yeah. like that, but it might be. It's hard to, like, just declare like this, this is, is the first because right. there's yeah. always then you'll always think of something later There'll, some <laughs> other movie will pop up that nobody ever even noticed before because like there was a time when nobody was even really talking about black christmas yeah i mean like history slasher films for a long time like when i was like really getting into horror and stuff like i was trying to watch like everything and kind of feel like feeling like the history of like the big sort of landmark films and when they talk about like the landmark horror films Texas Chainsaw Massacre is more 
known and is somehow more relevant than like mm. black christmas you know and that's why for a long time i was like oh you know you want to like trace the the slasher films there's there was psycho then there was <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> then there was Halloween. And Halloween was like the true first kind of, you know, thing that then inspired Friday the 13th and then Nightmare on Elm Street and these kinds of series. But, I mean, Black Christmas is doing everything that Halloween did four years before. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, like, I, I'm a big fan of Halloween. But this might just be a more, I don't know if I should say a more effective film, but in some ways I think it's like, it's a better movie. Hmm. Um, and I mean, I can't, it's kind of dumb to say like one movie is better than the other. Yeah. Especially when they're both like, they're both great and they're both, they both work. And I, and I like both it, of them. It really points out how a lot of people like simplify the slasher genre the horror genre in general but like mm-hmm. slashers it is like oh it's just like a typical like stock and slash film and like but then you get like two films like black christmas and halloween which have a lot of similarities and like when you start to compare them it's almost like oh well really it's apples and oranges but then it's like well wait but they're both slasher films so it's really like apples and apples but oh yeah are... they're totally on the same ground but stylist like john carpenter has his style and like bob clark has his style which like which is odd because like this is like the only horror movie that he made no uh death dream and uh children shouldn't play with dead things which are actually both very good death dream um it was all it's also uh it was also released in the 70s as dead of night but because now people are more familiar with the the 40s british horror film dead of night now i think people just call it death dream um it was sort of like a takeoff on the monkey's paw, uh, where okay. this, this family, their son is killed in Vietnam and the father's like, Oh, I wish he would come home. And then he comes home, but you know, he's back from the dead and it, that's, nobody wants that. <laughs> um, and children shouldn't play with dead things is, um, one of the few surprisingly few like zombie movies between night of the living dead and dawn of the dead. Yeah, that's weird how, like, yeah. there. you would think that the success of Night of the Living Dead, mm. as we've seen in most cases in in genre films, like, once there's something that's working and is making money, like, everybody jumps on board, wants to throw their hat in the ring. And there and were like, a few, but, like, but it not as many as But it didn't expect. take off, yeah. Um, especially when you take into account, like, oh, all we have to do... is just, like... Get a bunch of extras and have them move slowly. Like put a little baby powder on their <laughs> face and kind of like slap some blood on it and they can just bumble around, you know. But Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things is, um, it's technically a horror comedy, but it's like, the comedy part is like the first half of the movie. And it's just, but what it does is, and this I think is Bob Clark's style. It's not like a visual aesthetic style, but like, you, that first half of the film you're getting to know all of these characters and they're all like telling jokes and being kind of obnoxious, but like, mm-hmm. um, you get the sense of like who they all are in relation to each other and stuff. And then the zombies show up right? and then the comedy sort of stops. And then it's like, Oh, these characters that we know now are about to get torn apart. 
I don't want to oversell children shouldn't play with dead things. It's not like a great film. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a good movie. Um, but that's Bob Clark's strength, and he would bring that to a Christmas story where you get to there's like there's a lot of people in a Christmas story. Yeah, a surpri- the family, surprisingly, little, a lot of like little minor characters. Yeah. and um, and even like in the his Porky's films, the you know teen sex comedies, which he's you know he's worked in several genres, <laughs> mm. and he's done iconic films in several genres. Um, you know, like you get to know like all the high school students and some of the teachers and stuff. And even in, in Black Christmas, there's like little bits like you get to like um, the actress. Oh, what is her name? The actress from SCTV. Um, Does she play Phil? Yes. Uh, Andrea Martin. Her boyfriend. He's just in like a couple little scenes. Yeah. And but you, like you know him right yeah. away. You know who that guy is. <laughs> And, um, and actually like when the movie's over, you start thinking back, you're like, oh, that poor guy, his girlfriend's dead. And like the last thing he was saying was like, he was complaining about her for like, cause he, she was going to ditch him. Right. To go on the skiing trip yeah. or whatever. And he's like with the kid and he's like, well, fuck, son yeah. of a bitch. I don't even want to be here. <laughs> and then there's like, there's like the main cops in the movie. There's the, the desk sergeant with the fellatio thing. Yep. And, um, and then there's John, John Saxon, Saxon, who's kind yep. of like the hero cop. But then there's like the guy in the, John Saxon's office who just like, he's just like laughing, laughing hysterically. Yeah. And then there's the guy who's like tra- tracking the call. Yeah, running frantically around. And like, cu- like cutting back to that, like that element, like I really like in this movie. Yeah. Um, that like, I don't know, just going to this strange location where it, it's like it built, it, cr- it, ups the tension in those uh in the phone call scenes which already are just so damn creepy yeah that's one i mean you know people talk about like how often like profanity is used in films but it's used creatively in this it's used effectively Mm -hmm. because you're seeing these girls faces as they're hearing these like harsh words said in that manner and it it makes you angry. Like, how dare you speak to these women like and that? And it makes you terrified yeah. as well. Because, like, you can just imagine, like, being with your friends and then and getting, a, like, a repeated calls like that. Yeah. And just, like, listening in and just being like, this is freaking weird. And it, and it shows, like, just who the characters are as, as they react to it. Like, Margot Kidder is, like, she's no, you know she's not new to this kind of language or like that. This is more her kind of like thing. So she, you know, plays it cool while, you know, some of the others are more nervous about it. But I mean, yeah, it, it like, I can't imagine being in that position of like, just being hounded with these phone calls that just progressively get more and more fucked up. It's, t- it's just terrifying. And we as the audience know that like he's in the house like the whole time. From the very beginning of the movie he like climbs up into the into the attic. That whole notion of just like there's somebody in the house with and the you. calls are coming from in the house. Like mm-hmm. it's like that urban legend and <clears throat> which, you know, a few years later another big uh well not slasher film, but it definitely had influence on slasher films, uh when a stranger calls like that was like the whole premise, this babysitter, uh, played by Carol Kane. Um, like she's getting these calls. She realizes like he's upstairs with the kids. Mm. 
Yeah, and I mean, like, within the slasher genre, like, I, I can think of, another, like, at least a couple more movies where the whole phone call scenario is, is put into play. There's the New York Ripper. Yes. Um, which, that movie also has very disturbing, <laughs> frightening phone calls um, in a Donald Duck voice. Uh, the killer is, is talking this... Hmm. Yeah, and it is, it is so damn creepy to hear... Like this strange, like this approximation of Donald <laughs> Duck. That yeah, that's terrifying. But then Scream more so really kind of took it to its true sort of potential, I guess. Yeah. Scream, yeah. I mean, in that for that opening scene in Scream with Drew Barrymore on the phone, that's what got me into horror, kind mm. of. I guess like that was like the first horror movie that I remember like watching. And that opening scene just scared the hell out of me. It was really, like, freaky. The idea that, like, somebody's watching you when, you you know, you feeling safe in your house and somebody just invading that, that space. Black Christmas is even, it's even scarier. <laughs> it truly is. And the reason is because in Scream, like, we get, some we get closure we get like we understand who the killer was why they were doing it and you know what was happening in this like we get none we get none of that there's no and resolution. so you're so certain by the end that it's probably peter the care delay character mm-hmm. and then nope <laughs> You just, like there's like these hints throughout. I mean, like, well, there's he quotes him like the the caller right says that like like having a wart removed, mm-hmm. which is what Peter referred to the the abortion as. And we're even um, like seeing, so we'll see the killer sometimes, like parts of his face, yeah. parts of his clothes, parts. And he has of the his same hand. kind of hair. He like the, he's made to look like uh, Peter. And even, um, all right, so Peter is like, he wants to be, um, a professional, uh, concert pianist mm-hmm. and, um, the soundtrack, the to whole the film is these low piano noises, which we can actually recreate right now. Yeah. And like in the, um, in the film, like the, um, the composer tied things to like the the wires and the piano and stuff to like to get like these like just off sounds from mm-hmm. them. <laughs> um, it really resonates. Yeah, I mean, and there's a scene where he's like destroying the piano and smashing yeah, it. He clearly has rage issues. He's very upset. And it's great because like he slams on the piano, and they just let that sound mm. ring out all the way through for like a good like nearly a minute after he does it like i was trying to listen to see and it like it just keeps on going into the next scene it just bleeds over and yeah throughout the whole soundtrack we're hearing those sounds of like you know the beating on the the low piano strings everything about it like makes you you know believe that it's peter i mean in that way there's that sort of audience mentality when you're like well they're trying to make me think that it's him Mm -hmm. so it must not be him Um, sometimes I wish I could just like you could just divorce yourself of of that kind of thinking like what is the filmmaker trying to do to me you know like 
just let it what do are it. quote unquote <laughs> they propose you know trying to push on me um but if you were a, an actual character in in this story if you were an inhabitant of this world you would totally think it was peter yeah like there'd be no question in your mind that it that it was him the only other one you could possibly think of would be um chris the art hindle character um the the first victim's boyfriend right the, yeah um but just because like he's in certain places when the calls go through you know it, you know it can't be it can't him. be him yeah um the most uh the the freakiest shot or freakiest scene i should say for me was definitely when um Jess goes to the room in the end when she realizes that the killer's in the house and she's go she goes back upstairs to find um Phil and what was Margot Kidder's name? <laughs> Barb. Barb, yes. Um and she op she opens the door and sees their dead bodies on the bed and she's like you know, she sees them and she starts to back away and then we hear that whispering, you know. Agnes, we're not gonna tell anyone what we've done here and she like looks over and he's just like behind the door looking at her with that fucking red eye through the door crack and he's he's not like he's like he doesn't like make a move towards her or anything like that it's like he it's like she is his partner in all this like he's been talking to her about everything Mm. you know he's projected this sort of agnes kind of like person on her or something and uh it's almost like he didn't actually want to kill her or something um and that to me is like somehow scarier than just like i'm gonna kill you now just like you know hey isn't this great like oh agnes we did a good job implicating her in the deaths of her friends like yeah exactly and uh, it rem- and that shot just reminds me of like a dream I once had <laughs> when I was a, a kid. I was spending the night at uh, Chris's house mm. and I was sleeping in his bedroom on the floor. He was in the bed and I was like asleep on the floor and in my, in my dream I woke up and I was looking at his closet door and at the at the bottom of the closet door there was a crack and there was an eye of an orangutan like staring at me. Um, and it just, it scared the hell out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I mean like that, it just reminds me, it reminded me of that. It was kind of just like freaky. And you know, if it was any other movie, if it was made in any any other time, whether it was like a more modern movie or even like a movie, you know, 20 years before, I think like they would have explained who the killer was. Mm who Billy was, who Agnes was. And they'd have like some, you know, some twist or some stupid backstory where it was like, you know, when he was a child, he had a caretaker named Agnes and he had a brother named Billy and he was the baby. And this was, you know, it was killed. And that's why he was crazy. And like, this is, you know, some sort of twist thing. There's uh, some sort of law apparently where any like iconic horror film has to be remade. Um, and in the remake, which was like 2006, I think. So this movie was remade. Yeah. I didn't know that. And Andrea Martin, uh, 
is in this is in the newer one as well. She plays the house mother. Who is it? Who is Andrea Martin? Phil. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, had like Michelle Trachtenberg, Lacey Chabert, and people like that. I guess. Oh, I remember now. Okay, yeah. I remember seeing the trailers. Michelle Trachtenberg, right? Um, and apparently in that one, they couldn't just let it be ambiguous. The the movie actually, I haven't seen it. This is just reading reviews and the IMDb summary and stuff like that and Wikipedia. Um, the film starts with the backstory. So it's kind of like Rob Zombie's Halloween almost Mm. where it's just like, here's the killer. Here's his backstory. He's like this little kid who has yellow skin because he has some sort of liver problem. So his mother, (laughs) his mother thinks that he's like a freak. So she like locks him up or something like somewhere in the house. And then she wants to like have another kid. Um, but her new husband or whatever, uh, is like sterile or impotent or something. So she waits till Billy is like 12 and then like rapes her son to get pregnant and gives birth to a girl named Agnes. And then at some point Billy gets out and he like stabs Agnes in the eye. It's apparently a lot of ocular violence in the 2006 black person. He's always stabbing people in the eye, taking their eyes like eyeball actually. Um, but he kills the mother and her boyfriend or husband or whatever. And then, and then it cuts to years later, he breaks out of an asylum and goes to the house, starts killing people. And like, I'm reading the summary and it's like, Oh, this character is introduced and then killed. Oh, and then this character is introduced and then killed. So apparently, it, it does, I don't get the impression that you like get to know them or anything. It's and, more, it's more about the killer. And, and the, then I guess it turns out like he and Agnes are killing them. Like I don't know where his sister was the whole time, but Billy and Agnes are killing these girls. Fuck all that shit. I like that's why can't. I, what pisses me off about remakes like that is like why can't that just be another movie? Yeah, seriously. Like, why does that have to be Black Christmas? Like, you have... It's it's essentially has... Like, it's it's totally different. (laughs) You just change all the characters' names, set it in a different time and location, and it's a totally different movie. And you never draw... Make the connection between that and Black Christmas. And, like, one great thing about the original Black Christmas is that everyone who watches it has their own idea of, like, who Billy is, who Agnes is, what happened Mm -hmm. what's going on and then like they do a remake like that and it's like oh no that's we're gonna try and make this canon like that is what happened like which i mean that the movie failed so whatever like (laughs) um i don't really know anybody who watched it it's just like like that that film's already that was just seven years ago it's been forgotten especially original black christmas let's take everything that was like effective in the original and just throw it out. Yeah. <laughs> it th- that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. It's like, okay, you're making a remake, and I understand, like, wanting to do your own version of it, not, like, rely too heavily mm. on what's come before. Because you don't want to just rehash totally what's happened. But that's when you wind up with Gus Van Sant's Psycho. Mm. You want to change things and, like, add your own viewpoint on it. But just to like, just to strip away everything that 
made the original one good just doesn't make sense. Like, you can have maintain the, what made Black Christmas good. And even just change all the characters. Set it, you know, somewhere else. And you'd still have a good movie. And it'd still be entertaining. Like, if it was still, if it still had, like, you know, the tension and, like, the, the true sort of, the freakiness of it. It could still be good. Um, yeah, I just don't, I just don't get it. But, I mean, this, uh, I, I re I admire the fact that they were able to do what they did and not try to explain it. Because mm. you can imagine like, well, okay, so who was the killer? Who do you think, who do you think Billy was? Just forgetting about the remake and like, what what's your idea of like who he was? Oh, you're actually asking. I'm asking me. you. Yeah. I thought you were just throwing it out there. <laughs> no, I'm asking. Like, yeah. Oh. Um, do you think it's somebody that one of the characters might have known? Do you think he was like familiar to them, or do you think he was just some random guy? I think it's somebody who was at least familiar with that house, mm -hmm. and he might be returning there after a long absence. Or he'd been hiding up there for a long time. I get the impression nobody ever goes in that attic. Yeah, that's what's <laughs> funny is that it's like, okay, so you find out that the killer has been in this house the whole time and has been making calls from the house. You have at least two missing people at yeah. this point who are unaccounted for. You don't think to search in the attic, which has a ladder like in the middle of the hallway for everybody to see as they're, you know, searching the house. Well, it is also possible they were about to, but then they had to bring the father to the hospital because he collapsed. Like at the end when like he, that's not, true. Yeah. Cause like they weren't done necessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, like the police were there and everything. The press was outside. They had to get through them and stuff. Um, which I, that was a really great use of sound. Yeah, because you just get, the, like, there's nothing there. It's just, but you hear it all. Yeah. Like, you hear the press and, you know, all that commotion going on. It's you never like, see any of it. It's like um, at the end of Godfather 2 when they couldn't get Marlon Brando to do a cameo. Oh, right. But you hear... Uh, and that's also a Christmas scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's the best Christmas movie. <laughs> Fuck Black Christmas. We should be talking about Godfather Part 2. Um, but in that, like, I don't know, it's kind of just like everyone is looking out the other way and like, there he is. Hey, Marlon Brando, he's right around the corner. <laughs> like, hey, Michael, we got Marlon Brando in here. And he's like, all right, I'll be right in. Uh, um, okay, well, it also reminds me of the end of um, Antonioni's The Passenger with Jack Nicholson. Which was actually, it actually came out a year later. I, I don't know if Antonioni ever saw Black <laughs> Christmas, but there is like the last shot of the film. It's like, it's probably not 10 minutes. I feel like saying it's 10 minutes, probably like four minutes, maybe five. And it's just like, um, just the camera just like pulls back and like, there are people just slowly like I don't want to ruin anything. They're discovering that something has happened and you just hear these voices and you hear like external noises and it just creates this atmosphere that isn't necessarily there. Um, but yeah, and the last shot of 
Black Christmas is a very impressive shot as the camera just kind of drifts up. And it's so. it's funny too. The, there's a cop who's outside, who's like sort of stationed outside. Yeah. Um, and the phone starts to ring, and it looks like he kind of like hears it. He kind of like turns towards the house, and <laughs> at least to me, it looked like he was like, "Oh, should I get that?" Or, and he's like, "Nah, I'll just let it ring," because he's like smoking a cigarette or whatever. Do you think that character is Nash, the incompetent cop <laughs> at the station who managed to screw everything up? I'd like to think they don't let him leave the station ever. <laughs> he could be a danger to the community. Because if that cop heard the phone and went in and picked it up, like, he would know, like, oh, shit, like, hey, guys, like, he's still in the house. Like, there's the killer. Like, the killer is still here. And at that point, it would, like, only be him. In there, like all the other cops that left, and it's yeah. just Nash. And then you get into like, <laughs> like an Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein type thing. It's like <laughs> Nash versus Billy. Like, yeah. uh, and then it's a whole other thing. <laughs> the actor who played Nash, um, play, have you seen Porky's? No. The, okay, he, I haven't seen Porky's. He plays the gym teacher in Porky's. It's. Uh, I don't feel comfortable. Um, recommending porkies <laughs> but yeah, like yeah. for what that is it's, it's one of those things like yeah. i haven't seen um animal house either i i hate animal house. i've never been able to get an animal house but i liked porkies i at least found it entertaining hmm. and i don't know i just it just wasn't for me um it's another donald sutherland film uh Oh, Donald Sutherland actually was in another, um, well, not another, he was in a Bob Clark film, um, Murder by Decree, which was... Uh, when, when did that come out? 79, I think. Um, okay, so after Halloween, then. Yeah, well, it's not, it's not slasher at all. It's like, uh, it's a Sherlock Holmes film um, about, like, uh, the, the Jack the Ripper case. And, That's okay. Uh, it's, it's, got actually, a it's actually element. Yeah, uh, it's actually it's it's pretty interesting. It's James Mason plays Watson, and, and, and Christopher just, Plummer. Is it's Sherlock it's Holmes. just interesting, like you know, Black Christmas, and then inspires John Carpenter to make Halloween with Donald Sutherland, and then it's like the next movie he makes, or you know, whatever is by the filmmaker who did the original thing. I don't know. It's just it's weird. No, it's Pleasance. You're thinking. Oh shit! Yeah, Donald yeah. Sutherland. Oh, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, no, because yeah. I've had Halloween on my mind this whole time. Okay, yeah, no. it's Donald Pleasance. Yeah, I got my Donalds confused. Okay, were, Sutherland. So okay, were you, were you thinking that Margot Kidder was having sex with Donald Pleasance? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, let's all picture that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done picturing it. Okay. Um. Yeah, that's a totally different. Yeah, Donald Pleasance did not tell Margot Kidder about the, okay. the beach house. I was going to say, that's and, really random and yeah. weird. Uh, Donald Sutherland was also in... Um, he was in a film with Art Hindle, who was in Black Christmas. Um, the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Which is a really great film. It might be better than the 50s. I don't know. I go back and forth on which I prefer. Hmm. I haven't seen the most recent two remakes, but of the first two, um, they're both great. Um, but yeah, Art Hindle was also in um, 
another great Canadian horror film, The Brood, the David Cronenberg film. Uh, yeah, yep. Yeah, The Brood is is really good. Mm. Um, and there, were, um, it's, that's another one that doesn't get talked about a lot. Like one of the one of the big reasons there there were so many um, horror films coming out of uh, Canada. It's because Canada is a very horrific place. <laughs> well, um, there was, I'm not sure when it started. I think it was in the late 60s. They started um, coming up with these tax incentives. for they, they wanted to try and have like a Canadian film industry. So the government was like, well, we're going to give you tax incentives if, if you um, invest in film production in Canada. Um, and like, even if the film flops, you won't necessarily like lose a ton of money or anything. And, um, what ended up happening is they were like, okay, well, like in that period in the seventies and stuff, it's like, what can you put investment into? And it's definitely going to make a profit. So there were a ton of horror films and uh, pornos <laughs> coming out of Canada in the seventies. And like, um, Ivan Reitman, who, you know, later would go on to do like Ghostbusters mm, yep. and stuff. He did uh, Cannibal Girls, which I haven't seen. It had Eugene Levy in it. Another Canadian getting his start oh. there. Uh, who would be on SCTV with Andrea Martin. who's in Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and like that gave birth to like, you know, David Cronenberg, who is like pretty much the like Canadian horror, horror guy. Yeah, yeah. Actually, in, um, there's a book, uh, They Came From Within, which is about like the history of the Canadian horror film. And I ordered it online because I wanted to kind of like, you know, look through it in preparation for this podcast. Um, hasn't shown up yet. Supposed to have it three days ago. Mm-hmm. Whatever. You ordered it on Amazon? Barnsies. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, this Christmas I uh, I ordered most of my stuff on Amazon for, mm. for Christmas gifts. And I decided to try the uh, the free 30-day trial of uh, um, Amazon Prime. Yeah. It's totally worth it. Have you been watching a lot of the movies and stuff then? Like the No, I ha- I um I wanted to cuz I have uh I could you know get on there and see. I haven't I haven't even seen what they have on there. Um but I've thought about it. I've just been you know busy with other stuff. But, yeah. Um Man, that free 2-day shipping is very nice. <laughs> It's awesome because part of, like, and I don't order a lot of stuff online, but like, it's nice to, part of the reason I think is like when you hear about, oh, this is only, you know, such and such, whatever is only $15 on Amazon. Hmm. That's a good deal. And then you go to like actually order it and you're like, oh, it's like plus three ninety nine for shipping. So that's, it's actually closer to 20 and you added in tax. Like, eh, I guess it's not really like that good of a thing. So then I just don't end up doing it. Um. But with like the when you have the free two day shipping, it's like right. every price you see is what it actually is. You know, you're not including other shipping costs. Makes me think like if I had Amazon Prime, I would order a lot of things online more. It's just so easy and it's nice getting packages in the mail. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's a nice feeling. There was a time when, like, I was getting, like, stuff every... For, like, a couple of weeks, I got something, like, every day, and, um... It's like Christmas every day. Yeah, and you get to pick what you get for Christmas. Right? Yeah, it's pretty great. 
Um, but you know, you need money for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, so. I miss having money. Um, I haven't seen any uh, Bob Clark films that came out after Christmas Story. I, the the one he did next was a film called Rhinestone. Uh, it's like a My Fair Lady type story where um, Dolly Parton has to make Sylvester Stallone a country music star. <laughs> he really likes to jump around in the genre, in yeah. the genre pool. And like the last uh, you know films he was doing before his uh, untimely death were um, the Baby Geniuses movies. Right. Yep. That's that's right. Yeah. I, I th- uh, no, never mind. I was going to say, I think I saw Baby Geniuses like in the drive-in a lot, like when it came out. Or did you see Baby's Day Out? That's or, what, or honey, I blew up the kid. <laughs> I I think I'm thinking of Baby's Day Out yeah. actually. Um, which that was had more of like a uh, sort of like a cartoon thing going on. With Is it. Baby's Day Out like the first scene in Promise Her Anything, but like feature length? Do you remember that? Um, I remember the song, Promise Anything, Tom Jones. Yeah, uh, well, the scene that song's playing over was... And, like, like, it keeps, like, cutting to, like, some things happening, and then it freezes the frame. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't remember what what exactly was happening. There was this little little kid just getting into all these hijinks and, like, climbing up the side of a building or something. And like it, Well, in, in uh, Baby's Day Out, like, you know, in, like, Looney Tunes or Tex Avery cartoons or different things like that, you'll have, um, like, a, or, like, Mr. Magoo. He's, you'll have, like, an oblivious character walking through, like, a construction site. Yeah. And he winds up, like, walking onto, like, a iron or steel beam as it gets hoisted up by a crane and he walks along the beam until he get you know he's about to fall off but then it like happens to connect with some other walkway that he can walk on or whatever it's like that kind of um yeah this little baby just like crawling around getting into all these dangerous situations and he just walks out unscathed and i think there are like you know some criminals trying to track the baby down or something was it funny um i'd like, I, did you find it funny? Uh, I assume it was supposed to be funny. <laughs> I don't really remember it that much. I don't remember, like, the experience of it that, that much. Something like that, like, you hear the concept and you're just like, oh, I bet that movie sucks. But it's yeah. like, in the right hands, that could be a very entertaining movie. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, really, you shouldn't d- dismiss... Well, no, there is some stuff you can dismiss. <laughs> I was going to say, you shouldn't really dismiss any movie. Don't judge a book by its cover. Or don't judge a movie by its trailer or movie poster. But that's not true. You can absolutely judge a movie by its trailer. Sometimes you can watch a movie and just say, I don't want to watch it. But of course, there are instances where you watch a trailer and you're like, that doesn't look interesting. And then it's like, actually, the movie is way better than the trailer was. I remember like when Fight Club came out. I remember seeing like commercials and stuff and it just focused a lot on like check out Brad Pitt's abs. <laughs> Look how ripped he is and like it just seemed so dumb like oh it's just a bunch of like guys punching each other. Did they was the the line in the trailer the like uh first rule about fight club don't talk about fight club probably. Cuz that's like I haven't even seen the movie but like that I'm done with that line because for a while that was like just people would say like first rule about 
whatever. Don't, don't talk, talk about, about whatever. This. Yeah. Second rule of this: <sighs> do not talk about this. And it's just. Uh, or then, like the trailer for uh, Moulin Rouge. I remember that coming out, and it was just like you know, had that Lady Marmalade song going, and it just looked like you know, <laughs> the version that's done by like Christina Aguilera and like yeah. Lil Kim and whoever the fuck else. It's just like Pink and Maya. Okay, yeah. What do you mean, whoever the fuck else? I don't know. I didn't care about any of those things when I was, you know. And Queen Latifah. Or even now. It just seemed like a, <laughs> just like a, I don't know, something that I was just not interested in at all. Yeah. As someone who was in the ninth grade, remember, <laughs> seeing a commercial for Moulin Rouge, just it wasn't appealing. But then the movie is totally awesome, you know, and it's totally something that I ended up liking. But that being said, like there, are, you know, there are trailers where you watch and you're just like, that looks like the dumbest fucking movie. Like Alvin and the Chipmunks, like no, thank you. <laughs> or fucking Beverly Hills Chihuahua. I don't recall the uh, how the trailer actually was for Black Christmas, but as far as like promoting it goes, yeah, I actually I was gonna bring that one up. of the greatest taglines <laughs> for film ever. If this film doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Like, how great is that? Now, was that a tagline that was on the, the original yeah. posters and stuff? Yeah. Really? Not just the DVD version I'm holding, which... Is a terrible box it, art. It's made to look like a new movie. It's made... And it, new movies have horrible art. Yeah. So... <laughs> it's it had, got, like, this sort of saw thing going yeah, on. Yeah. Like, the, the DVD was put out to tie in with the remake. <laughs> so, it's like, so. you know, it's got the white... Uh, art with like the generic kind of font and it, you know to its credit the image is you know from the movie it's the the girl with the bag on her head but just the way that it's like i don't know it just looks like it looks honestly it looks like a direct-to-dvd movie that yeah. if i saw it on if, a I, shelf, if i'd never heard of it or anything and i saw that yeah, i would just... i would not give it two yeah. thoughts and part of the reason why like i mean we talked about how the, this movie kind of isn't or at least for a long time it wasn't really discussed in relation to its sort of rightful place in horror history i think part of that reason might be the title just black christmas i think because it's i don't know somehow it's easier to dismiss it as like oh that's just like you know you don't take it as seriously yeah you see Oh, it came out in 1974, and it's called Black Christmas. It must be the black exploitation version of White Christmas. <laughs> well, there's that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I thought. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think just, like, for a lot of people wanting to, like, discover, or people rediscovering these movies, like Black Christmas, if you were just going by the titles of things... <laughs> That might just not be one that you're, like, as interested in seeing, because it's like, oh, it's a Christmas movie? Like, eh, I don't know. Maybe you watch it, like, around Christmas thinking, like, oh, let's watch, you know, that. But most of the time when people want to watch, like, a cheesy kind of Christmas movie, they go for things like Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, or... Or the um, Mexican Santa Claus. Mexican Santa Claus. Or, um... uh, 
what's the what's the one with the Santa Claus uh, killer? Um, oh, Silent Night, Deadly Silent Night. Silent Night, Deadly Night, yeah. Which has a guy in it named Billy who kills people at Christmas. See, and that's like, that's more of like, like a Christmas movie. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's about like he only kills his victims on Christmas. Or and like, it, it's a whole, it has all these traumatic experiences involved with Christmas. Right. As, and like, that's almost, I feel like the people who remade Black Christmas we're thinking of Silent Night, Deadly Night, where, like, the whole first part of the movie is, like, building up to him, like, becoming a killer. Yeah, they should have just called it Silent Night, Deadly Night. Like, Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I think the, the title might just be what what's held it back over the years. Have you seen Christmas Evil? <laughs> I think that's a great title. Christmas Evil or New Year's Evil? Christmas Evil. No, I haven't. I haven't seen either of them. Uh, but That's another... Um, now, that is a very Christmas movie. There's a guy who's obsessed. He has a traumatic experience at Christmas time as a child. And then um, he grows up and uh, he goes on a killing spree one Christmas, dressed as Santa. That was uh, 1980, I think. Um, one of the greatest endings in all of cinema. Any genre, any era, any nation and that just one of the greatest endings so just christmas evil christmas evil i have to track it down yeah <clears throat> i have it on a it was in it's it was it was in the public domain for a long time i mean i guess it, it probably still is but there's actually like a good version out on dvd now i haven't seen mm. i still have my like two dollar public domain dvd where it's split with um <coughs> a film called uh, Silent Night, Bloody Night, which is a horrible bore fest, and I'm not even, I couldn't really, I mean, I made it to the end, but it, it was one of those films where, like, as you're watching it, like, as you're seeing the new scenes, the old scenes immediately evaporate from your memory, so by yeah. the time you get to the end, you're not you're even sure like, what, what happened. happened? Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't even know if it was even at Christmas time. There's some, <clears throat> there's some uh, movie that I remember seeing that was supposedly like a Christmas horror movie, but when I was watching it, I'm like, is this Christmas? Because it like takes place in like Arizona or like New Mexico or something. Mm-hmm. So it's like it takes place on Christmas, but there's like no snow or anything. It doesn't like then there's not a lot of Christmas decorations. And I wish I could remember what. Actually, I don't really care because the movie was terrible. But I don't remember what it was. That's weird when there are like. We've always lived here, in the Northeast, and it's like oh Christmas. There's snow and yeah. it's everywhere. And like, you think like, well, there's so many people in the world who celebrate Christmas and they're not without here. it. Yeah. Um, like the John Ford film, Donovan's reef, like at the end of the film, it's like, it's one of those films where it's like, it has Christmas in it, but it's not necessarily a Christmas film, even though the whole film is leading up to Christmas, but it's in Hawaii. Right. So you don't even really think Get like, Oh, this is, yeah. Um, Although, then there's, like, Edward Scissorhands, mm-hmm. which is a... Tim Burton does Christmas well in several films. And, like, Edward Scissorhands, like, they're yeah. in California. There's no... There's the fake snow on the roof. And then, you know, there's, like, oh, where... The whole thing is, like, a myth of where snow comes from. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, totally. Um, but, I mean, like, he... You know, he did Nightmare Before Christmas. 
which is like another sort of Christmas horror hybrid. I mean, it's like about Christmas it's and horror more, coming together. <laughs> um, which I, I, that's become you know in recent years like a huge like thing. Yeah, like a, it's a big. It when it came out, it I remember like I went to see it um, in theaters. It was a it was a double bill with Mrs. Doubtfire. Hmm. Yeah, that's, and <laughs> ab- that is just like the most absolutely nineties kind of. Like <laughs> and I was a feature. huge Tim Burton fan, and I was a huge Danny Elfman fan. I loved Oingo Boingo, and I was like, oh, it's gonna be all like Danny Elfman songs and stuff. And like, and I just remember being like, oh, it was, it was okay. I didn't hate it, and it didn't really do that well. People like critics were kind of split. They were kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, that exists. Um. I don't know what it was. I guess at some point Hot Topic realized, hey, we could make some money off all this merchandise. And maybe that's what brought it back big. I don't know. But, like, um, I, sh- I'd like, I think I should revisit that at some point because I haven't really seen it. I in think a what brought it back time. big is, like, I mean, even between us, like, there's kind of an age difference. Hmm. Um, when did that movie come out? It was 90... 93. 93? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, that was... A, that was... So I I was of an age where like I was I was really young I was little you know, um, I think for like people that are like of my age by the time like we got to high school, that's when I remember going into like the mall and seeing like Nightmare Before Christmas stuff mm. around and being like oh like the like there's a shirt with like you know Jack Skellington on it like how about that, um, because you think like it was just this sort of movie from your past you know what i mean that was like you liked it but nobody else seemed to like really know yeah. about it or it wasn't just like talked about or anything it was never shown on tv or anything like that so then it's like once like i think the nostalgia factor played into it where it was like when there were the teenagers the high schoolers of an age where they could go out and like spend their disposable income on stuff like they were buying stuff that they were nostalgic for when they were, you know, kids. But yeah, since then, like it's it's just become like, it's it's huge. It's bigger now than ever. Yeah. It's a great movie, though. It, it really is. It was. I did. I watched the opening scene, on I that might have been this morning. I'm not sure. It was on MTV. Um, and like I was with two channels, and I'm like, I saw like the thing that says like, oh, this film has been formatted for your television blah 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 that comes out at the beginning of most movies and i was like oh they're showing a movie on mtv i wonder if it's one of those step up movies or whatever or something like that i was just curious <laughs> yeah. as to what the movie was going to be um and it turned out to be that and i'm like i'll listen to the first song i'll i don't know but to get you into the christmas spirit yeah I don't... <laughs> this is halloween this is halloween 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 <laughs> This like, town we call home. Like, oh, I can't wait for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how many people like are like, oh, we're here Nightmare Before Christmas. Let's watch this Christmas movie. And then that's like the first song, and they're yeah. like, what the hell's going on? What? <laughs> um, like, the, and it's a movie that's like for a studio trying to decide when to release it. Do you release it closer to Christmas, or do you release it closer to Halloween? Now, with the big turnover with formats, what you do is you release it right before, like, a couple of weeks before Halloween, yep. and then it'll come out on DVD for Christmas. Perfect. 
Boom. And, you know, like you can do a special like, oh, back in theaters for this week, mm-hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas. And, but, I mean, they didn't really have that option back then. So things were in theaters for like a year before they were on VHS. I mean, people, I hear, you know, like friends and stuff will watch Nightmare Before Christmas like on or around Halloween. To me, it, it's more of a Christmas movie than it is yeah, a Halloween movie. I agree. Um, I think the perfect time to watch it would be like sometime in November. You know, so it's like you're bridging the gap between Halloween and Christmas. You're exiting that fall Halloween time, still kind of relevant, and then you're like getting excited about. It's Christmas, a great Black know. Friday movie. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, as far as Tim Burton Christmas movies go, though, I think Batman Returns is the best. Oh, right. I forgot. I was, I was like, what other ones? I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. That's all Batman. Christmas. That's, yeah. What about Sleepy Hollow? That doesn't take place on around Christmas. It's snowy. Or at least there are some things. By like the that. end of the film, when they're in New York City at the end, it's snowy. I don't remember. In my memory, it's a Christmas movie, but I don't remember why. <laughs> I don't even know if it was Christmas time. Sleepy Hollow? Yeah. Was this no? It was in the fall, right? Because there was all the dead leaves and everything. Yeah. And I, I don't know. There's at least the flashback. With Christopher Walken is in the snow. I yes. know that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Batman Returns is definitely a Christmas movie. Yeah, that's that's a weird movie. <laughs> It is like as a kid, I loved it, and I—I I mean, I still think it's great. But it's just like I didn't notice how weird it was as a kid. Yeah, it's it's it is it's very bizarre. I thought you were about to say it stopped twenty minutes ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Tim. We're, we're talking to ourselves here. <laughs> What's the point of talking if no one can hear us? <laughs> Nobody listens to us anyway. <laughs> Uh, um, uh, what was I about to say? Batman Returns. Uh, I don't know. So you never noticed how weird it was. Yeah, I think I was done with that. Yeah. Uh, but um, what are some other Christmas movies? Like, what do you, what do you watch on? Well, you you watch the the Muppet family christmas you said like yeah i mean like there's it's funny when it comes to like christmas movies that i get excited about every year they tend to be more of like the tv movies um and it's funny how like television has a better share of like holiday classics than like film has um they've got they definitely got the quantity if not the quality yeah um i i love um Lifetime and Hallmark have been showing Christmas movies like nonstop for weeks now. Those terrible made for TV, like, and you know. I don't, and like, it's weird to think that there's this whole like industry that just churns these things out. Yeah. And maybe there's good ones in there. I don't know. I'm not going to sit there and find out. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to sift You're through. You're not going to find the diamond in the shit pile. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, um, I mean, I, no, I, I always look forward to watching the, um, <clears throat> the Muppet Christmas films. Mm. Um, yeah, specifically, uh, Emma Otter's Jug Band Christmas. I haven't seen Great since. movie. When did that come out? That was, uh, 70, 
So before the 80s. 70, yeah, it was before the 80s. I'm fairly certain I haven't seen it since the 80s. I'm pretty sure it was made while The Muppet Show was going on. Okay. It was somewhere in the middle of when they were making the show. <coughs> I always loved the Christmas toy. Yep, I love the Christmas toy. I love Muppet Family Christmas. Muppet Christmas Carol. I need to all rewatch are, all Muppet Christmas Carol. I um, When that came out... Um, I wasn't really that into it, but I feel like I just wasn't giving it a chance. I was I I was kind of being like, well, Jim Henson's dead. What's this nonsense? Hmm. Like, I just didn't want to deal with that. I, it's I the best. Know. It's the best post Jim Henson Muppet movie there is. And really, it, it is. It's better than the like Jason Siegel, like the Muppets. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Really? Wow. Because I loved that. It's uh, it's fantastic. It really like because it, ha- it has like a real heart to it. And it, it's, it's, even you, you, you forget about the whole Muppet stuff. Like it's a really good depiction of the Scrooge story too, mm. of the Christmas Carol. It really, um, yeah, we haven't, we've been talking about Christmas. Movies all the time. We haven't talked it, about Scrooge at all. There's so yeah. many versions of that. Um, there. um, Michael Caine plays Scrooge yeah. and he does an amazing job. Like it, it's, it's as, it's just as legitimate of a performance of Scrooge as like anything. I remember um, reading the, the Ebert review of it. And he was very impressed with Michael Caine, and he was saying how, like, he is clearly treating these, like, pieces of foam and cloth yeah. as people. He, it's like he's, he's acting with actors. Totally. He's not think, And, like, he was really impressed that Michael Caine could put himself in that mindset. It's just as, I mean, it's just as good as a performance as if you had seen him, like, perform it on stage, you know, or something like that. Um, <clears throat> it's It's really impressive. And it just, it... You know, I mean, there are moments like it makes you tear up. I mean, like Robin plays Tiny Tim, yeah. and it's just like, oh God, you know, when when he when Scrooge is just like, what's gonna happen to Tiny Tim? And it's like he sees the the grave, and like, ah, oh, there's a scene when like Kermit and Piggy, who, Kermit who plays Bob Cratchit, right. and Piggy is his wife, and uh, their other two children, they're sitting down for Christmas, like like the, the Christmas after you know, Tiny Tim has died and it is like the most heartbreaking thing ever. Like seeing Kermit the frog, like lose his fucking son is just like, it's, Oh man, it's, it's crazy. It's a really good movie. I need to rewatch that. Um, <clears throat> my, my favorite, um, version of a Christmas Carol has always been the 1951 Alistair Sim version. I don't know if I've seen that one. That's well. He's the one. Um, he's the father in Hitchcock's Stage Fright. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. He has the. Um, Were you gonna say cable knit sweater? <laughs> um, no, he's got the. He's got a a really great scene at the at like the fairground. Oh, where he's talking to that woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But do you re- do you remember him being Scrooge ever? Like, do you- no, I don't. Because that's so. like the version. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's you know, there's been many, but and like the one I grew up with, of course, was you know Mickey Mouse. I grew up with that with one too. Scrooge <clears throat> McDuck. Yeah, it's funny that like I always just assumed that Scrooge McDuck was like a character created for Mickey's Christmas Carol because it's Scrooge. Yeah. 
But then I find out like, no, Scrooge McDuck has been around yeah, for Carl, uh, forever. Carl yeah, all him. all the comics and all that stuff. Yeah. And so it's just funny that it's like you know. He finally reached the 80s, and they he's finally playing yeah. Ebenezer Scrooge. So when you're real, really little, you don't really get like the chronology of everything, yeah. and you're just you don't realize like, oh, this came out just a few years ago. But like, da- I mean, that's a that's a, another great movie too, where yeah. Mickey Mouse loses his fucking son, and <laughs> <laughs> it's heartbreaking. Um, like when I think of a Christmas Carol, I like. I tend to like when I'm picturing things in my head, like I feel like I do tend to go for Mickey's Christmas Carol as opposed uh, as or as far as like um, the way the ghosts are portrayed. And stuff mm-hmm. like that. I'm trying to. Th- oh, okay. It's Jiminy Cricket. I was trying to think of who the ghost of Christmas Past was. Yeah, it's Jiminy Cricket. And Goofy is Jacob is Marley. Marley yep. is, yeah, <laughs> I love when he's like <laughs> when he's like leaving <laughs> and he like falls down the stairs. <laughs> Like trips over all those chains. <laughs> oh, that's great. And it's all just in sound. You just hear him like tumbling down the stairs. Um, and of course, there's um, Scrooged with Bill Murray. Yep. Which I re I used to really like. Now I think there's. It's not a. It's not like a bad film. I still enjoy a lot of it, but it's. It's, it's odd. I don't know. It's not one that I grew up with, so like I don't have as much of like yeah. an attachment to it or a nostalgia for it. Um, like Chris and the Phelpses, like they, you know, they really like it. Um, it kind of falls apart at the end. <laughs> I like I don't uh, I don't know if I've actually like sat down and watched the whole thing like all the way through from beginning to end. I've seen like most of it like kind of in pieces. It's one I should I should I should watch that this year. Well, I got it if you want to borrow it at some point. I see copies of it around all over the place. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people have it. But yeah. I think last or like Christmas time last year, I think I got it at Walmart for like four or five dollars or something. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, then there's the, the, the Muppet Family Christmas, which we had talked about last week, not on the show, but um, Right after we stopped recording. Yeah, right after we stopped recording we were talking about it. Um and that's that's a favorite of, of mine. Um, and it's a shame. I mean, we could get into a a whole other discussion about like the, the Muppets and and Disney and how the, the rights have been all hashed out. But what's cool about Muppet family Christmas for those who might not know is that it's like, it's a Muppet movie. So you have like all the characters from the Muppet show, you know, Kermit and Fozzie, Miss Piggy, Gonzo, Animal, and all and all that Swedish all that chef. game, all that gang. They're going out to Fozzie's mother's house to spend Christmas together. When they get out there, they find that like Fozzie's mother was leaving for Florida for Christmas and had rented out the house to um, Doc Doc from Fraggle Rock and Doc and Sprocket. So they're already there. So you have this, like, the clashing of worlds between Fra- the Fraggles and the Muppets. It was the first time that they had crossed over. I think the only time that they crossed over. So, you know, so Doc is p- having to put up with all the craziness of the Muppets. Then in, when they're there, like, they hear carolers outside and they're like, who are these carolers? And they look out and it's the whole Sesame Street gang. So, like, Big Bird shows up and, like, you know, Burnt Nerney and 
Cookie Monster and Grover. They're all singing and having a party. So then they all get pushed into the house. And then they, they stumble upon uh, Kermit and Robin go down to Fraggle Rock. Um, and so then the Fraggles come come up and sing in the sing-along. And it's just great because you have the the entire Jim Henson gang, all of his creations over the years that he that he did. Um, and it's the only time that all of them are share. They all share screen time together. And it feels. I, I don't know, I, I really identify with it because in a lot of ways, like it just reminds me of like our group of friends, like when we get together every year for our Christmas party, you know, there's this collection of like, there's, the, there's always that element of like worlds colliding when you're like, you know, oh, th- this person is bringing their friends over and like, there are these new people that we've met that were that we've become friends with over the last year. And now they're at the Christmas party mm-hmm. meeting with like these old friends who, you know, we used to hang out with in high school and only come around every once in a while. So old it's like friends, this new friends. I know there's that wonderful song from <laughs> a Christmas toy, old friends, new friends. I don't know. I don't know what the, the actual name of the song is, but that just, I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, I love that song and I just love that sentiment of, yeah, old friends and new friends all gathering together. Um, So yeah, I mean, I I I really like those. And then Emma Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Again, it's a it's a different kind of Muppet movie because Kermit is the only actual like sort of Muppet character. Um, all the other puppet characters are more um, natural looking animals, I guess. It's a fantastic movie. I, you know, we've, I don't know, we've been going for a while. Shit, we're not gonna get too far down the, the <laughs> Jim Henson rabbit hole right now. But um, you know, if you're wanting to watch some some movies uh, this Christmas on Netflix, I know uh, I know Christmas Toys on Netflix. Last I I saw, that's a that's a great Henson movie. Um, unfortunately, the version that you're gonna see on Netflix doesn't have Kermit the Frog in it because of. It might be on YouTube because <coughs> might be on the YouTube, original yep. Muppet Family Christmas is on YouTube. Yeah, the complete version of that. <coughs> um, so yeah, there are some suggestions. Those are some of uh, some of my favorites. I've never seen the Kermit-free Christmas toy. Doesn't he show up at the end of the story for the to- song to sing? Old friends, new friends. So how is that? Is that song cut? Or? No, the song is still there. They kind of cut around it and fill in the audio somehow. It's it's a, it's like an abridged version of the song, which just sucks because like that song is like, uh, it pulls at my heartstrings, man. Mm-hmm. But anyway, gets me in the mood to watch some Christmas movies, that's for sure. Hope you've all had a uh, happy holidays. Um, we've got one more movie for you coming up in the Holly Jolly Christmas month to round out the uh, the month of December. Murder Rock from nineteen eighty four. Four. <clears throat> Our first eighties movie. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and it shows it. Nice. Yep. 
cool. So, yep, next week we'll check out Murder Rock, see how the Jallo films evolved in the 80s. Um, but until then, I think I'm going to go get some hot cocoa and uh, curl up in the bed, listen to some Christmas tunes. So, uh, yeah, have a Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we'll see you next time.